It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here for another episode, another little beekeeper chat between Natalie and I. And as mentioned on the previous episode, today's topic is the business of bees or beekeeping, but technically the business of bees in general and all the different things that you might be able to do to set yourself up for success. And, you know, I kind of actually you would think that I would come with some notes, you know, here and like have all my ideas fleshed out. But unfortunately I did not. But what I did do is I had a conversation with the 17 year old girl yesterday after I got done teaching this little class and the, she was very, very insightful and very intuitive because she is doing volunteer work so that it can go on like college applications and resumes and things like that. And she was very curious, even though she is working for this location and she's helping manage and run their shop two days a week. And so she's doing retail and sales and marketing and all that kind of stuff. She had a lot of very, very insightful conversation and questions. And she saved a lot of those for after the class. And she was like, okay, so honestly, break it down for me. Like how much can you really make doing bees? Like in the different aspects of it. And so that was actually talking through that with her kind of gave me a good way to put all that into perspective. Um, I'm going to assume that you have a list. <laughs> well, I have some ideas, some basically general um, topics that I want to touch upon, the ways to make some business and then get into the details of some of the ones that work for us the most. Yes. So, okay. So obviously I'm going to, what I'm going to do real quick then is I'm going to go over a, an extremely high level overview of the path of a beekeeper. And then we'll take that and we'll break that down and go a little bit deeper into what that may actually mean. So first and foremost is going to be the fact that anybody who starts off and wants a beehive, that's not necessarily ever going to turn into a business because it's just a single hive. And that hive is usually for wax production for yourself and your family and your friends or honey production, again, for yourself, your family and your friends. And that's fine and dandy. But a lot of the stuff out there encourages you to start with two hives instead of one, because then you can compare and contrast. And if something happens, you can always supplement from one to the other. Well, now you have double what you had before. And then as you start getting more and more into it and you start learning about swarming and all this other stuff, and you know, say your colony does swarm and you catch it and you don't want to lose those genetics. So you put it into another hive or you try to prevent them from swarming. So you split your hive. Well, now you've got three or four or six, and suddenly it just starts growing. After a certain point, you're going to hit a, a spot where you're not going to be able to consume and or give away all of the honey that these hives are producing. So the first logical step is you could start selling your honey. As you continue down that path, if you've got the space and, and things keep growing, eventually you will get to the point where you're like, I don't want any more bees. I've got too many hives. But yet there's... <laughs> There's the, I know it's not, it's a foreign concept to some people. I know Natalie's like, there's no such thing. She's addicted. <laughs> bee hoarder. <laughs> you're a bee hoarder. So you might hit that, that area where you're like, man, I, I don't have a lot of land. I don't have a lot of, of room for these bees. So I can't go through and 
do that. I can't, I can't keep having hives. So instead, maybe you decide that you're going to start making splits and selling those splits. Maybe not, but that is another logical option that could happen. You could start selling bees. Further down the road, as time goes on and you become well-versed in beekeeping and you are very confident in your skills and, and you've got a lot of experience under your belt, you may start mentoring or that may turn into a consultation business. And it just kind of keeps evolving and growing. You may eventually say you didn't start selling your nukes, but you got a ton of bees and now you're thinking about, well, you know, I've been raising queens and they're really awesome and I love them and maybe other people could use them in my area. So maybe you start raising and selling queens. There's all these different little things that can happen. They're all a logical like progression of mm -hmm. beekeeping. And I was told way back in the day when I first moved to Austin and this cracked me up. It also was like, it kind of dumbfounded me just the, the perspective that it was coming from. But I had done, I had like five years of education on my own, going through and reading and researching and doing all of the, the digging that I possibly could, reading every book, pulling out everything from every public library in my area, finding anything that I could to be able to go out and help um, get my hands in a hive. I had a friend in Kansas City that had a hive. And then there were people out north of Kansas City that had multiple hives. And I could go and actually try to experience what beekeeping was like and help out and get more education from volunteering, right? Being like an apprentice kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. Then when I got to Texas, that all changed. And I started the master beekeeper course and I started joining the clubs and then becoming officers of the clubs. And my business that wasn't even ever supposed to be a business started growing and expanding and like all these things happened. But I'm about in the middle of that logical pro progression where I, at the time I had, I was going on between 30 and 50 colonies. And I was like, man, I need to start figuring out what I'm going to do here. I need to like maybe start selling some of these, making nukes off of them, something. And when I was talking to one of the other local beekeeping individuals and establishments, they informed me that I was copying them. Uh, there's no patent on I selling bees. I know. And the, the funny thing was because I started talking about, well, I've been raising my own bees and I've been doing these own things and I do my second gen bees and that's what I use in all my colonies. And they were like, well, you know, that's what we were going to do this year. And you're, you're just copying us and, and you're just following all the steps that we followed. And I'm like, how arrogant of you first off, because in reality, those are the only steps you can take. That's a pig farmer. Tell another pig farmer they're copying them. I know. Right. Right. Hey, you know what? I'm going to start raising cattle and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to build an enclosure for them. I'm going to call <laughs> it a corral when I, when I put them through. And I think the other part is going to be a shoot where I run them through a shoot so that I can get them into different places. Um, I might need to build some sort of, and just maybe like a shade little yeah. enclosure where they can get underneath there, get out of the sun. And I'm probably going to have to put in a pond or at the very least buy, you know, a big water trough or, or something, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. I'm and then sorry that, I'm stealing your ideas. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm so sorry that, you know, I'm, I'm stealing all that. Or, you know, <laughs> for all you hunters out there, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to go get a feeder and I'm going to put corn in it and I'm, I'm <laughs> going to put no. corn out there. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> That's cheating. I do that. You can't do that. That's mine. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and I'm not raising cattle and I'm not the hunter. That was just, you know, me being goofy and, and from being stuck with Ken in a room for three years, um, those things sink in. So, <laughs> so, but yeah, it just, it, it shocked me at the, 
I don't know. I mean, arrogance is the only thing that comes to mind for that, but also like the, the, like, you're not really doing like you and Les have a great thing. Like we all rise together. We help pull yeah. everybody up. You're so all right away. Yeah. And we're all going down that same path. Right. So you, you can't be mad or jealous at another beekeeper who is doing the only things you can do with bees. They're selling honey. They're selling bees. They're, they're doing whatever they're consulting. Now you can stop and say, um, you've had a hive for three months. Why are you consulting with somebody else? You don't even know what you're doing. Like you can do that. That drives me a little crazy. I'll be honest with you. I've had people that have done beekeeping. They don't even have a winter under their belt and they're sitting there and sharing their expertise. They're and, putting and videos so, on YouTube and Facebook and yeah. saying, this is how you do it. <laughs> you know, it's a lot, a very, um, high learning curve the learning curve is huge and i think that until you've had at least one season one winter you don't know beekeeping i would i would actually say two because the whole the whole first half of your second year if your colonies survive the winter that whole first half of your second year are things that you would have never done in the first year because the colonies were not big enough so you need honestly two years two winters under your belt. And then, then by all means, if your colonies are surviving and thriving, go teach somebody else how you're doing it. So I see people um, wanting to start making money with bees. They are in the end of their first year or in the middle of their second year. And to me, that's a risky business because you don't have the general understanding of the full life cycle of the colony is, and you don't have enough experience and in watching the bees do what they do. Yeah, you might be a remover and you see a whole lot of colonies in the structures and you're getting all that um, that information that maybe a regular beekeeper doesn't have, but it doesn't make you a good beekeeper. Removing bees doesn't necessarily make you a good beekeeper. So I think that rather than hitting the ground running um, and trying to make a business uh, without the experience that it takes, it, it's important for people to slow down a little bit, take the time it it's it, that is required so that you don't launch a business and then provide services that don't uh, that they're not successful and tarnish your reputation in the long run. I think it's you're better served by sitting and learning initially. Maybe you can sell a few things like equipment is a no brainer um, or things like that. But when it comes to the bees, I think that it's a dangerous proposition to say you're going to sell bees. Uh, you're going to sell um, nukes, you're going to provide um, maintenance services, or you're going to teach in any way because you don't know a whole lot of things. And there's yeah. nothing that you can do to accelerate that path. It's it's time constraint. It's, it's time just is not compressible when it comes to that. Right. So on that note, because you made me think of something that is not in the normal logical progression of like what I just said, but it's a perfect mm -hmm. example. And I am going to use somebody very specific for a reference here. Uh, but I, I encourage everybody else to not take this out of character or, or out of <laughs> context, out of context. So Mandy Shaw, who has oh. the podcast um, Beekeeper Confidential, Mandy mm -hmm. Shaw makes beekeeper veils and they are the cutest damn things you've ever seen. They're all one. kinds. Yeah, you see, Natalie owns one. So Mandy... And this is where I say, don't take this out of, out of context. 
if Mandy were not a beekeeper and knew nothing about colonies, which is not the case, Mandy's an amazing beekeeper. She's got a lot of knowledge and experience, but if she were not that person, she absolutely could still start a business making beekeeper veils and selling them so long as they're functional and they work properly and they're cute and there's a market for it. So that is an area where you could have a niche of a beekeeping business and not even necessarily be a beekeeper by making accessories that go along with it. And I didn't even think about that until you brought, brought that part up. Um, accessory yeah. like that. Yeah. And so that's, that's absolutely the case, but again, don't take that out of context because Mandy and her podcast are both amazing and she does have a wealth of experience and you should absolutely listen to something that she tells you if she says you're not doing this correctly <laughs> but it is a great it's a great example it's something she's added on to her business that's outside of doing consultations and doing hive management and selling bees and things like that she has this apparel line that is extremely successful for her so that is something right there everybody can write down you know maybe you have a very creative niche and outlet that could be tailored towards a beekeeping business, but doesn't necessarily mean you're going and getting in a hive. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that it still requires some level of understanding of what beekeeping is and what the bees do. Depending on what it is you're trying to sell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're, you're going to make gloves and you don't have any idea what those gloves are going to go through and all of the, the rigors that we put them through and the, 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 I just, I mean, I tear the hell out of my gloves. <laughs> so if you had no idea of what was going to be entailed with their usage, then yes, you would make an inferior product because you didn't have the knowledge that you, you needed for that. So yeah, there, there, there are definitely uh, pros and cons to both aspects of that. So do you want to tell, do you want me to tell you what I had in mind for, yeah. for this um, yeah. So my yeah. my whole speech was just that opening. I'm done. It's all you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> Got to fill in that. <laughs> no, but really, uh, you mentioned that a lot of people start with one beehive, and so a lot of um, people that want to get into the business of beekeeping are actually actually accidental um, business, you know, beekeeping businesses. Uh, they start with one hive and then like you said, they get more or they are able to split and they're successful and bees have a tendency to, um, uh, explore, explode and just kind of split themselves. So you end up, you know, if you're successful with more colonies than you need. Um, but if you're more driven and you have a purpose on and and you know what you're trying to do and you know you want to start a business what i would really recommend and that's true also for people that don't want to start a business is instead of starting with one colony minimum should be two because it's it's a it's an insurance to not lose your inve initial investment because in your first year if anything happens with your first colony you have nothing else to um, help it uh, you might have a queen event you might not have enough food one of them might be stronger than the other so i would say the very minimum whether you want to be just a backyard beekeeper or a business uh, beekeeper then get at least two colonies if you do by design know you're going to become a business beekeeper, I would actually say, and it, it might be arguable for backyard beekeepers as well, get three, four, up to six if you can, depending on your means. The way you can maximize your investments by uh, getting equipment 
uh, that's going to be a little cheaper. That's why I like to promote the double Tupper hives because you can put two colonies in one box that you can make yourself for about 20, 30, 50 bucks, depending on how you want it to be fancy. So that's a great way to get into it without expending a whole lot of money and then let the bees be bees and uh, basically swarm and, and uh, multiply themselves. So that's the way I would start if I wanted to start a beekeeping business. I would also start by educating myself very thoroughly, uh, not only with uh, the, the uh, theory, but the practice. So that's the other aspect of it. When you have more than one colony, you can get more exposure without over, overly stressing that first colony. That means your learning curve, um, while still huge, you get to climb it a lot faster than if you had only one colony. Also, I would say go, like you mentioned, volunteer with established businesses, beekeeping businesses, or find a mentor. Um, what I would say is hard to find a mentor because beekeepers are always busy doing their thing. What you could start with is a beekeeping pod, I call those. People that get started at the very same time or have different hives and are willing, that are in the same area, are willing to help each other. And you're this way you're multiplying the time you can be in beehives without stressing one yard overly over the others. And you can hire a teacher or a mentor to come to a group of people. And it's going to be much more economical for you to do it that way. Let's go back to the um, volunteering with an established business beekeeping because I have my thoughts on that. And I've done the exact same thing. It's very hard to get started uh, with that because they don't usually take people that are brand new beginners because then they feel like they've got to teach them for free when those people could take the lesson, the classes first, right? So you have to, to get into the hives of those people and help them on the fields. It's usually um, required to have some level of experience, at least for a year, where you're kind of like learning the seasons and, and just kind of hands on uh, the basics. So that's not always very easy to do. And then if you do get into that, expect to be working uh, for free and, and very often very hard for what you're, you're contributing because it has to be worth uh, the time and, and training that the business beekeepers are going to give you. So that's the one thing I would say, but it's definitely worth it if you want to be uh, in the end a business yourself, right? Absolutely. And the, the only caveat to that, I would say, is if you are going to get six colonies, get six small colonies like nukes to start off so that at the very least, even though you've got multiple colonies, your learning curve is not as steep as if you started off with six full-fledged, healthy, robust colonies. If you're starting uh -huh. off with the, yeah, if you started off with the nukes, they're going to be smaller and they're going to grow with your experience. And so you're, you're learning all of the crucial things while they're still smaller and easier managed. And then as you get more skills, they get bigger, things get a little bit more challenging, but you're working up to it. Whereas if you dive in head first and say a beekeeper is retiring and they've got, mm -hmm. you know, 20, 20 full fledged colonies that they're selling. And you're like, I've never touched a beehive in my life, but I want to do this. And you go in gung ho, you're going to need help. And you're going to be way out of your depth right off the bat with, with full size colonies. So if you are starting off from scratch, I would say the very first year needs to be about building a strong foundation of both knowledge and education for yourself and for your hives and your colonies. And then look at your second year being where maybe you start getting some re return on investment because that first year is all just investment. It's the same concept as farming. 
you're going to have to, not that you wouldn't be keeping, but you're going to have to quote unquote, like get a loan or procure the funds to plant your crop. You've got to cultivate the ground. You've got to make everything good, make sure it's nutritious and solid and stable, plant the crop, nurture the crop, grow the crop, and then hopefully harvest the crop. And that happens the next year. So it's always spending this year prepping and planning for next year's payoff. Mm-hmm. Next year's the same thing. The, the bees that you're working on this year are going to be next year's honey producer. And so that's next year's payoff. Don't ever look at it as an instant return on gratification, like right mm-hmm. then, because that's not the case. You got to play the long game, regardless what you're doing in that, that whole beekeeping business world. Absolutely. It doesn't happen overnight. And, and usually, actually, a lot of the beekeepers that get into the business do so to pay for their addiction. Like I, <laughs> that, that ends up being an addiction where you cannot have enough colonies. And at some point, it, it gets to be so expensive in equipment only alone, right? So that you end up having to find ways to make it profit, profitable so that you can pay for your addiction is right. it's what ends up happening. Once you get a certain level um, it can be very profitable. That's why some people will get into the business of beekeeping full on and invest sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars buy entire operations or inherit them from their family. In the case of commercial beekeepers, I'm thinking, because you got to have money to make money in this case. If you start from just a few hives, it's going to take a lot longer to establish yourself, to grow your numbers, to develop your practices, uh, your documentation, your classes, your formats, everything is going to take um, uh, some time for you to develop. And, and also that those connections you were mentioning uh, at the beginning of the show, to develop a network of people. It's important to not be in direct competition with other beekeepers that do that for a living and to learn from them and to just pay attention to how they are doing things not necessarily because you want to copy them but because those right. are smart people that are doing things that are working for them and then you take what works from them and you make it your own if you try to copy everything that other people are doing you're not going to get there they've been doing it for much longer they have higher numbers than you do and they're going to be much more competitive than you are so you're better off and in the end doing things your way by saying, well, they're doing this out this way. I'm, uh, this is not going to be my way. I'm going to do something different. It can still inform what you're doing right. based on what you don't want to do, basically. Yeah. It, it, well, and actually that is a great, that's a great point right there too, to help inform you on what you are comfortable with and what you enjoy and what you don't want to have anything to do with whatsoever. You know, right. you know, you may, you may look at the fact of like, oh, well, you know, I, I like bees and I want more bees and I can get them by going and doing swarm captures or going and doing removals. And then I may take you out to do a removal. And five hours later, you're like, screw this. This is not for me. I'll find other ways to get my bees. I'll split my colonies. Like that's not worth it. That very well could be a legitimate thing. Um, one of the other aspects in there too, that you mentioned is you, yes, you are getting the experience from these more, that's going to be redundant, but more experienced beekeepers, people that have been doing this for longer, that are experts, you know, like those of us that are certified as master beekeepers that are literally per the hour certified as an expert from the amount of time we spend in the field and doing these types of things, you can get that education from them and you can understand this is how you split a colony. This is how you build a hive. This is how you raise a queen. This is how you graft. But then you have to take it no matter what it is. If it's raising bees, raising queens, 
doing wax production of different things, making honey, whatever it is, take it and find your own unique signature, find your niche that makes it you. So one of the guests that we've had on our show many times is Tara Chapman from Two Hives Honey. Tara has two things that were very unique to her. One, the name Two Hives Honey came from her original concept of her business, where she would put two hives on your property, teach you how to use everything and raise those bees, and then eventually those hives would become yours. That was kind of part of her original business model. The other aspect was zip code honey. And because she ended up having these hives spread all over town in random zip codes, when they would do the honey harvest, they would keep all of that separate and put down the zip code. And then she could sell that at a premium in a boutique type market for Mm -hmm. that specific thing. For me, I started doing infusions. I do infused honeys. And that was kind of like my little niche that nobody around in the area at the time was doing. And there's still not anybody that can do it the same way I do. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not telling, damn it. Um, <laughs> I can tell you how I started and I can give you the concepts, but I'm not telling you all yeah. the little secrets and tricks that I oh, learned well, along the way. So, you know, um, but yeah, you got to find your niche. You've got to find your own little unique thing that makes it you that you enjoy. That's going to make your business way more successful and make you way more happy while you're doing it. Well, and that you're touching to what I was going to say, absolutely, the niche is very important. That was the segue to the fact that if you're just, it's like um, if, you, if you're selling honey um, and you're, you're positioning yourself price-wise, you're going to compete with Walmart, you're going to compete with all kinds of, you know, volume producers that have been doing it for much longer than you have. So niche is super important. That's the only way you can really make money um, in an efficient and 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 fast way um less crowder and i we're basically professional educators so we do a whole lot we love teaching that's what we love to do and the other niche that we um go with is the top bar horizontal natural treatment-free beekeeping and that works really well for us then the second thing that you need to do is become an expert at what you do so that people can choose you you need to present yourself professionally for example, uh, we combine all this um, at Be Mindful in a, um, apprenticeships, two levels. One is the standard level where people can become backyard beekeepers but have a very solid, uh, very um, thorough education on what it is to become a beekeeper and, and, and do it so that they have the highest chances of success in keeping their bees alive. And then the other one is to... Um, it's a professional level, basically teaching people just what we're talking about um, as far as, you know, how do you develop a business in beekeeping? What are some of the documents that you need to have? What is the things that you need to think about when you're packaging honey? What are the things that you need to think about when you're leasing bees to people? Like in, in Texas, we have ag exemptions based on beekeeping as a qualifying activity. And Les and I, we're doing a whole lot of that. We have hundreds of colonies uh, that we are leasing to people. We bring them over to their land uh, and, and we install them in the hives and we manage them and they don't have to lift a finger. And that's a professional service. So what we do is really professional services, whether it comes to education or leasing or consultations to help people with their existing colonies or answering questions. Um, but the, so in that apprenticeship, the, the second level, we teach them how to get from 
basic understanding to that level if they want to do so. Because I think that's a component that was missing in the industry of beekeeping, right? Everybody kind of learns how to build their business on their own. And like you mentioned earlier, Les Crowder says always, together we rise. So we have shared our documentations for contracts and agreements, our pricing sheets and, and all this stuff. And that's where the idea came from, that uh, we can make something where uh, of service to the community of beekeepers that want to get to that level and don't have to reinvent the wheel. So niche is super important, but it goes through when you get started, it, the key is to um, be successful with your bees and get the right education, like you mentioned. So the master beekeeper program is critical. Apprenticeships are critical. Uh, Hands-on practice is critical. And when it comes to the bees, local survivor stock. I, I can't speed, it, speed that subject up enough. That's very important when you want to be successful. So that education combined with good bees is going to help you uh, be successful. And if you're successful in keeping your bees alive, then only can you build up a business uh, that's going to be profitable. Yes. And as far as that education aspect of it, you hear us talk about like the master beekeeper program a lot. It is not just down here. So if you're listening to this and you're not in the state of Texas, there are many states out there that have their own master programs to go through and actually do and get that certification. And they're all a little bit different, but Georgia has an absolutely phenomenal program that you can even do online. And mm -hmm. Florida has a program. I want to say that Washington state has a program, um, ones that just, just a few that I'm familiar with right off the bat. So if you're not right here with us, that doesn't mean that you can't do that. You can still go and find that level of education. If you so choose, you may have to do a little bit of driving and traveling. Cause like down here in Texas, when we do our program, the there's twice a year that you can take a test. It's usually April-ish and October-ish. This year, it well, the other thing that it does is it usually follows one of the major beekeeping schools or events in the state. So that mm -hmm. way, a lot of people are already coming to that location. So you may have to drive a few hours to get there to take your test, but a lot of the study and everything is done on your own at your own time at home, um, things online, videos, tutorials, books, different things like that. So don't think that it excludes you from those types of scenarios. Like it is absolutely out there and available. And you can you can find that if you so choose to go that path. You don't yeah, have to, but if you want to, I'm just saying it's, it's it's not a Texas only thing. Like you can definitely find that. Yeah, and I wouldn't be who I am, <laughs> and I wouldn't be the host of the Natural Beekeeping uh, uh, segment on the Hive Jive if I didn't say take what uh, the education as a whole, and then have a critical mind. If there are things in there that you don't agree with, like I do not agree with any of the treatments because to me, the bees are supposed to do the work and they can do that. Uh, so I still did the master beekeeper and I still recommend it, even though things like treatments are being taught and explained and sometimes pushed in some of those uh, programs. But I think that uh, you can take uh, the good information and, and what is not agreeing with your philosophy, you can leave to the side. And that's what I did and it worked out for me. So that's kind of one of the caveats I would mention about the master beekeeper programs and all kinds of education. Yeah, You have a lot of 101 classes that will teach you about if you don't treat your bees, they will die. And it, you know, a single hive living on its own without any treatments proves that it's not correct. So to me, 
that's still a valuable source of education, very much so. And I think it'll make you a better beekeeper if you do the master programs, the apprenticeships and all that stuff. So several people that offer really, you want to go to reputable classes and, and read reputable books. Be careful, be weary of the YouTube channels with Joe Blow that's kind of telling you, you know, with a big, thick, you know, um, uh, smoker, uh, smoke uh, <laughs> blowing <laughs> in the air that uh, you should be doing it this way, you should be doing it that way. And uh, very often what you have on YouTube is a lot of repeated myths that are not necessarily um, uh, considering the superorganism itself. Right. And therefore for the comfort of the beekeeper to be passed on from commercial beekeeper to commercial beekeeper without people having a critical mind to question some of these things. Yeah. Uh, in the opposite, they're they're passed down as pure wisdom, and I'm sorry, but I'm I've got a critical mind, and I don't take for granted what I hear. I just double check and I make sure that it's correct and it works for me first. So I am I am going to have to add something in here real quick because that it made me laugh. Um, so <laughs> one of our very very avid listeners, Jacob or Jake, has a YouTube channel and. Oh. He, he goes through and he, he's done very well. I've watched several of his different videos over the course of the last two years kind of thing, but he talks about the hive jive actually on his YouTube channel all the time. And so in our last episode, we were, again, I was mentioning how YouTube is the devil and we got this message and he was like, here I am. All I do on my channel is tell everybody to listen to the hive jive. And all you guys do is tell people not to pay attention to YouTube. <laughs> so, um, it is a, it is a give and a take though. And, and so it's not when we say that, you know, don't, it's not that you can't or shouldn't watch things on YouTube or on Facebook, but you have to be discerning and you have to have that critical mind and you have to listen to what they're saying and then decide, does it make sense for you? Just don't take everything verbatim at their word. And that applies also to books and education and everything because- Absolutely. Most of the books are written by Northern beekeepers. If you're a Southern beekeeper, half of that stuff doesn't apply and you're going to be scratching Absolutely. your head going, but nobody talks about that here. Nobody does that. What do you mean? So you've right. got to, you've got to add your own experience into that and question, not if it is accurate, but if it is right for you. That's what we start our classes and apprenticeships with. What are your goals and needs when it comes to beekeeping? What is it that you want from this? Because it's going to inform which type of hive you're going to uh, go with, what type of stock you're going to go with, your beekeeping practices, and how you build, you know, your your operation, whether it's a backyard operation or it's a, just a commercial or, or sideliner business. So just always, always uh, keep in mind what your ultimate goals are. That's the key right there. Uh, why are you doing what you're doing? What's the goal? Even when you go do an inspection. What's the plan? Why are you even cracking that hive open? Right. So it's always the question that a beekeeper, a good beekeeper, uh, a successful beekeeper should keep in mind. What are the goals? Oh, also, okay. So um, for those of you who are watching the video version of this and uh, you got to hear slash see some of the comments and stuff at the very beginning, for those of you who are just listening to the audio version, it never happened. So this may be out of context and you don't know what I'm talking about. But during that class that I had to teach this weekend, I was in a hurry because again, I am not thinking that I need to be going and showing people the inside of a hive. 
whenever we're in the middle of this course. And so I, we go out, I show them how to suit up, how to light a smoker. I go out into, they, they're in a protected bee enclosure where right. they can't get stung, but they can see through the screen and I can hold stuff up there to it. So I go out and I purposefully pick the smallest colony I can see to do this because we don't have a lot of time. I don't need to do this three stack right. box that's over here beside me and go through three boxes. I just want to pull out like two frames, show you some things on it, put them back up and we're going to go back into the classroom. And me being a master beekeeper and being extremely knowledgeable, still you can screw shit up. Okay. So <laughs> I started off, I open up the box, I'm talking through the stuff, but people are also asking questions, which is distracting you from what you're looking at. And, mm. uh, I was more concerned with what frame I was pulling out. Looking down from the top, I can see that the three frames in the center have the majority of all the bees on them. The two frames over closest to the edge don't have any bees. Looking straight down there, there's no bees. So I pull out the first frame and I always start with the one at the edge so that I can make room to work my way through a Langstroth. And as I'm doing that, I have a young individual asking me, well, but why? We always started in the center. And I explained, well, if you start in the center, you're going to potentially roll bees and, and you, you have you have no room to, to wiggle there. And if your queen's on that frame, you could not only injure her, but you could accidentally kill her. So it's better to start at the edge and then work your way in once you've removed at least one frame to kind of give you that room. As I'm doing this, I pull up a frame that, again, I've only Wait. looked straight down from the top. There was, well, yes and no. Hold up the frame. I'm looking at the back of the frame, which is completely empty. The front of the frame is facing the screen. And as I pull it up, I say, I'm going to set this aside. I'm not even going to look at it because I know there's nothing going on here. I'm going to move in now that I've made the space to get towards the center. And the young individual inside the observation area goes, but what about that queen cell in the middle of the frame? <laughs> and at first I was like, surely she's using the wrong terminology and she meant queen cup. And I flipped that frame upside down and I'll be damned if there was not only one right in the middle of the frame, one giant capped queen cell. And I was like, well, there you go. See, this is why we should always take our time, go slow, pay attention to what you're doing, because I was trying to rush an inspection just so I could show them two frames. And that colony ended up not having a queen. It didn't have a good brood pattern questionable whether or not the eggs and larvae that were there were possibly actually going to end up being drones, which then made me question whether or not, is it a drone laying queen or is it a queenless colony that has gone laying worker? And the, but it did give me an opportunity though, to show them that the odd thing with that cell in the middle of the frame is that it was not a supersedure cell. It is actually a swarm cell because there was a divot in the comb and a ledge and a permanent queen cup that this had been created from. That doesn't mean there was a valid viable queen in there either, because if it was laying workers, sometimes they'll do that out of desperation and nothing's going to come of it. So that's a random side off tangent, but just to say that even us have our, we have our moments where we, we rush something or we screw something up because we're not paying attention or we're preoccupied or distracted. So there is that. And that was, it was kind of funny. Um, so. Well, and that brings a good point, though. That means that as uh, it takes experience, it takes a lot of going through a whole lot of colonies to realize some of the things that are happening and why you're pulling out from the side. 
and you know, in the end, you're trying to avoid going through the bird's nest as much as you can. And you want not only to avoid rolling bees, but you want to make enough space and just pull out. That's the avoiding rolling bees. But from the outer edge of the brood's nest, because you don't need to go through in yeah. the middle of the brood's nest. You, as soon as you see eggs and things look normal, that brood's nest should keep its integrity. You don't need to be looking for your queen. That's a big... Um, there's a book out there, Queen Spotting, I think it is. And I'm like, that trend is actually not uh, bee friendly. Right. Because you, you're, if you're constantly looking for your queen, every time you go into a hive, you can do much more harm than good. As long as you know how to read the colony, you don't need to look for a queen unless you've got a specific goal. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So now that I've gotten this way off and left field on tangents, so back to the business of beekeeping. <laughs> um, well, oh, no, no, no. I, I was I was just gonna say. So if we take like obviously that for that first thing is honey, right? Regardless if you're doing it for a business or not, most of the people out there, it's either because I think bees are cool or because I love honey. Those are usually your two motivating factors to start beekeeping. So if you're gonna look at a honey aspect, and I, I bring this up because you were talking about like those niche mark, the, the niche mark, niche, me, 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 oh. <laughs> I've, gotten my, I've gotten myself all tongue tied now. When you're looking at your different markets and everything that you could potentially compete in, some of the things that come up is like you said, price. You do not wanna compete with those big yeah. box stores. And I've mentioned on the podcast before, if I ever charged you what truly went into that single jar of honey, you would never be able to afford it. So That's don't try right. to keep up with the box store. They're, half of the stuff isn't coming from here. It's not coming from your state or your country. Sometimes it may not even be pure honey. It may be mixed and adulterated with other stuff. So don't try to compete with that. Your product is unique to you. It is amazing and it's one of a kind. That stuff they buy in the box store is all purposely mixed together and homogenized to actually be uniform. So every time you buy it, it's consistent. And that is not the reality of beekeeping. It, you'll never have that honey again. That honey that you took right now from your hive and you tasted it, you will never have that honey again because every year, the flowers and the bloom cycles will change. The different mixtures in there is going to change. The flavor and palate of it's going to change. So be conscious of that and actually don't do yourself a disservice. Charge what it's actually worth for you. So if we look at just that aspect, absolute bare bones minimum. I don't care where you're at in the United States. Bare bones minimum, $10 per pound of honey. And that is just the honey. That is not counting the jar you're putting it in, the time and effort that you've done to create the labels, the cost of the labels, right. any other little thing that you've done to make it yours and make it unique. So $10 per pound minimum. Now to give an example, because like you said, we, we like to share our stuff. My small hexagonal glass jars, they are a quote unquote nine fluid ounce volume. Honey weight wise inside that jar comes out to 14 14.5 ounces of honey weight. And so there's a difference between liquid volume ounce and weight pound ounce type thing. So 14.5, um, and I think actually it's 12.5 honey weight, 14.5 total weight when you include the jar, the lid and everything. It is just shy of one pound. Mm -hmm. But I'm selling those 12 ounces or 12.5 ounces of honey weight at the $10 mark because it is in a fancy glass jar 
that's reusable with a metal lid. It's got a fancy sticker on the front of it. That is stupid low compared to the rest of the competition in this area. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking at those discussions. I'm looking at one right here in front of me. Her name is Natalie. (laughs) She blows me out of the water whenever it comes to that, but her stuff is marketed and sold in a more unique manner than what mine is. And Natalie, you and I are both blown away by Tara. She's no, I'm just right under Tara. (laughs) But that's, but that's, but when you look at by volume, it's damn near $20 for the same thing that I just mentioned on mine. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, like, like her wholesale on one of those was 18 bucks and that's wholesale, not retail. (laughs) So mine is 20. So that's the thing, you know, actually right there with Tara, what we're doing is we're being niche. She's got more volume. So that's where she makes the bulk of her money, but she's still in a niche in boutique style honey. And that's what I do, boutique style honey. However, I don't do as big of a volume because that's not where I make my money. I make my money on uh, professional services. And and there's the finite volume of that too, because that's not your main thing and you have a finite volume of it, you absolutely should and can charge more. That's right. I make quite a bit of honey. I do just fine with that price where it's at, and I'm comfortable with that. It scales up as you have a higher volume, your Mm -hmm. price per volume drops. As you go down and you have a smaller container, the price per volume goes up. That's how you should kind of go through and and base your stuff. But that is, again, the bare bones minimum. Do not ever sell your honey for less than $10 a pound, period. Mark it up, put your time in there, put your creativity in there, compensate yourself for that. And keep in mind, it is finite. You will not have problems usually selling your honey. You're going to usually have problems getting honey to everybody that wants it. That's usually more of the challenge. So- Make it worth it. Put the price on there that is actually worth it. So I I wanted to, because you had brought up the big box stores. I wanted to use that as a good kind of segue point to talk about one of those business aspects of how to price your product. That's where you should start. From there, it's up to you. As creative as you want to be, as unique as you want to be. A lot of the stuff that Natalie actually sells looks like they are already ready to be like a wedding or a party favor. Like they're high-end, fancy, high-class gifts that you can buy and immediately boutique. give to somebody and they're very, yeah, they're boutique, but they're very cute and very um, presentable. So it's well-packaged, well-marketed, and okay. therefore you're paying for that aspect. Exactly. It's it's uh, it's not about volume. It's about quality. And it, what's important is to also educate your customers and how you market that product to them. What's the message behind it? It's, it's completely raw because there's raw and completely raw, by the way. There's, um, yeah, I know. No, Um, the, what was it? What was it? Ultra pure raw (laughs) was one of the ones that Ken and I did on one of the Patreon honey tasting episodes. And I, and then the whole top inch was froth and foam. And I scooped out a dead bee and a mite. And I was like, what the bleep? (laughs) So. It That's can not be what my honey is like. No, it is not. That is not your honey at all. That that came from a gentleman from not in this state. But it, it's one of those things where I was like, you're marketing this as ultra pure raw. In reality, this is the sludge that was left over from all of your stuff. And you're cleverly getting people to buy it and make money off of it. And you're insane because there's dead bees in my honey. And that's not cool. Um yeah. 
but I just, when you said that there's raw and there's like, I was like, well, hang on. I've seen the epitome of like, well, and I said raw and completely raw because raw is when you're still allowed to heat up your honey a little bit to um, put it so that it flows into your containers and, and all good stuff. So it doesn't crystallize. Right. We don't do that. So that's completely raw and that there's a difference there. Right. So there's all kinds of things that you can market. There's also if your colonies haven't been exposed to pesticides, you know, from treatments, there's a whole bunch of how you're harvesting it. If it's by area, by season, there's all kinds of, it's all about the marketing and what you do with your product. And I think that it, it you can command more for your products when you make it more specific and more niche. Like you said, niche is a big thing. If you want to make money, but you don't want to have a huge scale. And actually I would argue that doing it as a huge scale is so much more work for so much less reward in the end. Yeah. The, the, there's a proportion that that's not kept there. Yeah. So something to keep in mind as well. I so, wanted to go back a little bit for a second before you, I let you uh, move on to um, your next point. You were talking about packages and nukes. Um, oh, that's way I, back. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's way back. Packages and nukes was, uh, I think it's important to see how both evolve. And because it's important in your first year to learn how a package will uh, will build up the wax and all that stuff. And the nukes will will show you different things and you can learn from both of those. So that's something to keep in mind, but that was yeah. my all before no, we completely finish the show. <laughs> that is, that is a good, that's an absolute great point. And it, they both work perfectly for what I was trying to say. My point was don't buy a full size colony or 12 full size colonies to start mm. packages and nukes are, are great, but yeah, packages yeah. Is, is absolutely acceptable on that. Um, on the honey price, the, the last little thought there, and then we'll move on to like another aspect of, of businesses of beekeeping and ways to make money with it. But the last little thing is if you did use that hypothetical minimum $10 per pound, then you turn around and you look at a, if you, if you look at it from a Langstroth standpoint, medium box, 10 frame, maybe if you're lucky, 40 pounds of honey. So you might want to shave five off of that just to be conservative, say 35 pounds of honey, maybe even 30 if it's a light year. But Take that as your average and your minimum, $10 per and 30 pounds, we'll say 30 for easy conversion here, 30 pounds for that one medium box. You can then go out there and you can say for every medium box I have that is fully capped honey, in theory, that's $300 minimum for your honey. So it can kind of give you an idea of what type of profit or proceeds you're going to get back in from doing that. If you have a deep 10 frame, it could be like 70-ish. If it's an eight frame, it's probably more like 60-ish. Um, and you can go through and use those numbers. So I just wanted to kind of give you that, that general idea of how you could hypothetically contemplate what you could get or what your, your rewards, your harvest could net you. This year, you know, I went out there and I was looking at stuff and I was like, well, I have X amount of boxes. However, only a sixth of those boxes have anything in them. So you couldn't really just, you can't just look at the box and be like, well, there's 12 boxes. So 12 times 30 times, you know, 10, blah, blah, blah. No, because those 12 boxes might've had two or three frames in each box that had any actual capped honey in it. And the rest of it was empty. So really you might have one box of full honey. So those 12 boxes still net you $300, you know, like kind of look at it that way. That brings me to another point. I think that we should make is that you should diversify your uh, income making 
um, elements because what if you put all your eggs in one basket and you're all about honey production and there's a bad year or a bad production uh, that kind of takes down your income by that much if you have a mix of honey production uh, professional services classes teaching uh, selling bees um, renting bees or maintaining you know somebody else's then you have a little bit more and speaking engagements by the way once you get a little bit more uh, knowledgeable then you get a little bit more of a diversified package that's going to allow you to 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 um to be safe in your income the other thing i like personally is having a cushion of recurring revenue that's going to help you do the other things and if something happens with your honey production then all of a sudden you've got a backup right personally uh, when you're focused only on honey production, you get to have all the work that comes with the bees, all the hard work of the extraction, all the hard work of marketing and finding your your, your customers, and and cleaning up your your kitchen, your your commercial kitchen, and all that stuff. And I, I don't know about you, John, but that's you know I, I'd rather not do a whole lot of that because I'm already doing all the rest of the stuff that you need to do anyway to get to that honey production. Yeah. And I can get some of those activities that underpin the honey production to make me some money in the process. And you do the same thing. And I think yep. Terrace does the same thing and a whole bunch of people do the same thing. But it's important to remember that it's not all in one basket, even if you choose one main component, right? right? So the, 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 the honest to God truth is <laughs> If you are only going to sell honey and that's it, you will not ever make a living or enough no. money to support you, let alone your family. Unless, exactly. unless you are a packer producer or mm -hmm. producer packer or packer shipper, meaning you are actually not in the business of raising your own honey. You're in the business of buying honey from other people and reselling it. You're that's the, that's the only way. Because if you are a distributor or a packer and you're, because then you now have this endless volume coming in from other sources that you can constantly sell all year round, but that is not the same thing. And that is not going to necessarily be your cute local boutique raw, completely raw, none of those mm -hmm. things, but a packer producer or a packer uh, distributor, those are the only people who can make money just on honey alone, period. So for the rest mm -hmm. of us out there, who want to be authentic and want to actually make sure that it is truly ours and that's where it's coming from, you can have that as a side business that makes you some income every year, but mm -hmm. the, the beekeeping season, every aspect of it is cyclical. And mm -hmm. so the honey season has its time, then you have your harvest, then you sell out. Like my comb honey, I can't, I can't keep comb honey yeah, for a week, let alone months, you know, like it's gone. It's the first thing out the door. People are on waiting lists for it every year. So comb honey's gone. It's out there. Then we turn around and we go through and we look at the rest of this stuff and we're like, okay, well, what do I do now? My honey harvest is done. I've sold all that stuff and now I don't have anything else to do. So that's where your diversification comes in. And that's the whole point about the business of bees and beekeeping is it cannot be just any of these one things unless you just want it to be a supplemental on the side. That's fine. But if you're going to make a whole business out of it, well, say you do teaching and you do education. Guess what? In the wintertime when your bees are tucked in and nothing else is going on, that is a great time for individuals to learn 
how to get into beekeeping because they need to start that next spring. So over the fall and winter is the best time to teach them that can supplement that time of the year. Yeah. Now you've got some income from going out and speaking and doing those engagements. If you are qualified to do so and comfortable to do so. Some people are like, I, I don't want to stand in front of a room of people. Nope, not me. Um, so maybe that's not for you. So if that's the case, maybe you have, like we talked about this other thing where you make some sort of equipment or garment or accessory and you sell those, or you make jewelry, maybe, maybe you make bee jewelry. There's be a more here in Austin that does bee themed jewelry. So maybe that's your thing. Um, if not, we can move down into some of these other aspects like selling bees, raising bees to sell bees. That in and of itself also has a time frame. So your honey is going to take care of your summer and part of your fall. Teaching may take care of your winter. Your spring is then going to be selling bees and nukes and things like that. But now you got the summer. What are you going to do in the summer? You know, so there's all these different aspects to the season and you have to be able to find something to give you that residual income all year round to be able to survive. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of diversification if that's all you're going to be doing. And we can make a parallel to what we need to do for planting for our bees, right? Where you have to have different activities or forage in this case throughout the year that is going to serve a different purpose so that most of the year is covered. Yep. Other activities like uh, pollination contracts for some might be an option or uh, removals, right, John? Right. Uh, so other things that you can do. And <laughs> yeah, unfortunately... That is my summer, which is the crappiest time to have to do that no. type of work. But that is that is my summer. That's like April through September, nonstop. It's bee removals. And yeah. that's what floats me through there. But again, if I were only doing bee removals, what happens in October, November, December, January, February, March? Yeah. I have nothing to do for six months out of the year, you know, so you have to diversify that. But now, so you mentioned pollination contracts, and that is... Another thing that you can do if you're you're raising all these bees, it does not mean you've got to go to California and pollinate almonds. I know mm -hmm. plenty of small scale beekeepers here in the state of Texas that take their bees and help pollinate watermelon crops. And, you know, there's squashes and gourds and things that bloom at different times of the year where you can have a spring, a summer and a fall type mm -hmm. of harvest for that. And they need those bees to be able to help pollinate that. So you might be able to find local pollination contracts with Maybe there's an apple orchard that's just right there for your town. Your bees can help them. Somebody grows watermelon outside your town. Your bees can help them. It may only be 10 colonies, but you can still put them on a trailer and drive them to that location and provide that pollination contract service and have some sort of give and take for that individual and some other residual income for you. And guess what? You may actually be able to get some sort of unique varietal honey from doing yeah. that as well. Orange blossom, you know, things like that. Mesquite. And then, then that honey being varietal and being unique gets to become its own little niche market where then you mark that one up because it's unique and different from all the rest. And again, being me being me, I would say just be mindful of the fact that you might have some pollinations that are exposed to more pesticides. Like yeah. almonds is a great example, but that might be the case with blueberries as well, where they end up, the bees end up coming back with a lot of European fowl brood, or they call that a crud or something. And so just be mindful as to where you want to put your bees if you're uh, if you care about that. No, that's, that's absolutely true. Blueberries are actually, I, I would say neck and neck with the almond production aspect yeah. of it, if not actually a little bit worse because they use a lot more pesticides and chemicals and things on that. 
and mm-hmm. almonds, they're trying to be better about it. So there, there's a little bit of a give and take there. But notice when I brought all that stuff up, I said, you don't have to go to almonds. And I started naming other things that were local yeah. to your town. Because if you're going to the farmer that's down the street from you, and you can educate that farmer on why this is beneficial for them and for you both, and it, at the very least, say they absolutely have to spray for whatever reason, whatever they're doing, if they absolutely have to, if you have that communication and you personally know this individual, they're going to be more responsible and say, okay, I'm doing this on this day. So bring your bees this many days in advance, and then make sure that we close them up and you come and get them and take them before I start that next step. Because Mm -hmm. uh, like apples, for instance, when you're in a commercial production of apples, they kill all of the blooms except for the king bloom. And they let that king bloom go because that's going to give them a bigger fruit and put more energy into that one fruit. So every bloom you have this whole little cluster and then you've got one bigger flower in the center. They kill the cluster around it and keep the bigger one. That's Wait, the king bloom is what they call that. And K-I-N-G. they kill those, um, those uh, surrounding flowers with pesticides. I mean, they kill it with seven. Oh, seven, no, that's yes. awful. Seven is actually what kills the other blooms and they do it at a very st- strategic time. And if your bees are still out there, your bees will die. They will bring that back and you could have an entire colony collapse and die from that. So it's good to have that communication and understanding. And if the contract isn't going to be right for you, absolutely, no matter what it is, it doesn't matter if it's removals or if it's pollination contracts, nothing. Always, always, always stand up for yourself and be willing to say no. If it doesn't fit your methodology, if it doesn't fit your ideals, your morals, say no. It's not worth it in the long run to sell out to some of that stuff and end up losing all of your colonies or having a subpar thing. Be brave and stand up for yourself and say no. And Les has had to say no more because he had brought his tabar hives to pollination contracts in California. And the the farmers had said they were not spraying anything, you know, toxic. And he ended up losing a bunch of his bees because they did anyway. And the farmers said, well, what what do you care? You can always get more bees. Or can you? Be mindful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that was kind of how they look at it. and, And that's unfortunate for sure. So... So you've got honey production, you've got pollination services, you've got removals if you if you have the skill set to do that. And trust me, it takes a unique, crazy yeah. individual to do that because you find yourself in the stupidest positions, most of the time, not necessarily in safe positions. And it's backbreaking, gut-busting, hot, horrific labor. And I'm not trying to discourage you. I am being dead honest. There are many times, especially the older I get, There's many times I'm out there doing that and I stop in the middle of it and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, is this worth all of the heartache that I'm going through and the pain and the work and the sweat to do this and to keep doing this, you know, or maybe I need to hire several more much younger individuals that are willing to put up with this for a few years, things like that. So keep those things in mind, but yeah, you've got the removals. Um, You have possibly splitting and selling your colonies possibly raising queens with that. That's a whole nother thing in and of itself. And then the, the equipment um, you've got speaking engagements, education, holding classes. You could even do tours. Maybe that's your thing. Maybe you have three hives, but you've got this really unique setup. Maybe you love to bake and you love to do something else. So you could create an experience where people come out like an Airbnb. Absolutely. People come out, they can stay at your place. They can experience this 
or they come out for a hive tool where or a hive tool, <laughs> a hive tour where they come out and they get to suit up and see a beehive or look through an observation window and then taste some honey and try some honeycomb. And maybe you also raise some other fruit. Well, you compare that fruit with your honeycomb and it's an experience unique to you in your environment. So that's another way that you can be creative, find your own little niche market, and then exploit that to your own benefit. Just know that if you try to do it all, it, it's exhausting. <laughs> it, it is. I So the, the lady that I mentioned at the beginning that I said was the older lady who is very, very, very enthusiastic with this and who may come to possibly one of the, the Hayes County meetings later. Yeah. She, she and two other individuals and two of the three I told needed to all go talk to you. So, haha. Um, they ended up, they were all like, oh, oh, could you mentor? Could you, well, you do, you do consultations and training. Could I hire you to do this and to consult and all this stuff? And I was like, well, I mean, technically yes, but unfortunately no, I have too many things going on at the moment. I can't take on very many new clients because I'm already spread way too thin with everything else that's going on. So I then will turn around and try to refer them to people that are more appropriate. So she is in Hayes County. I'm like, well, you know, Natalie is actually part of Hayes County Beekeepers Association and she's got Be Mindful. That's the person that you need to go talk to. Mm -hmm. The other gentleman has land in Africa and wants to set up a business over there to help bring in revenue and profits for individuals. And I was like, oh, oh, I was like, you don't need to talk to me. You need to go talk to Natalie. And I gave him your information. I told him about Be Mindful. And I was like, she has literally been there, boots on the ground, finding ways to make this work with the resources and things that are available in Africa without trying to import all the stuff and everything else to make it work with what you've got. And I said, she is literally your one-stop shop. It's right up the alley mm -hmm. of what you're wanting to do. So definitely look forward to that individual reaching out to you as well, because again, awesome. right up your alley, that is where your experience has been. You spent six months over there and doing, yeah, doing this kind of thing. So it all, it all just depends, you know, and, and again, that right there is another example that's way out there that probably doesn't apply to the majority of anybody listening. But in your instance, you have the experience, you have the knowledge, you have the skill set, and you had the connections. There was a need and you were able to facilitate a means to an end for that need. And so yeah. you, you had the ability to travel. Les has traveled all around the world, teaching people how to literally weave a hive out of wicker, mm -hmm. how to make an right. Adobe style hive, like all these other types of things that are outside the norm, but it works and it fits because he's fulfilling a need that is out there that other people could not facilitate. So that's another way that you can diversify your business and be able to go through and, and take those things to the next level. Well, and that kind of leads to community outreach. I mean, the, we're building our business because it's a means to an end when it comes to community outreach and spreading beekeeping to people that would not otherwise have access to it and in ways that it's not too expensive and it can create a dignified income for them. So there's definitely that aspect of things as well that's less um, profit-centered, but you have to make a living from what you're doing before you can afford usually to do that kind of stuff. So. Yes. Um, did you have any other items on your list that we did not touch no, on? No, we chance? talked about a whole bunch of things. I think that's pretty much covers it. And um, you know, the, the business of bees is is fascinating. Oh yes, I would like to mention something else. Um, bee suppliers 
and the dirty little secrets in the beekeeping industry. So whether you want to start your business or you want to know about what's going on in the industry is a completely different story because there's a whole lot of things that people that sell you bees do not tell you. And as a backyard beekeeper, I think it matters as well. Uh, things like um, when you go and get bees, always ask them what they treated their bees with. Uh, if their bees were um, raised in your local area instead of out of state, or if um, they came from commercial hives that were kind of like Frankenstein into nukes, right? And given a, a mated queen, so completely Frankenstein nukes, um, you know, just kind of like a whole lot of things that you need to know. So same thing with the honey, right? I mean, was it, was it heated? Was it, is it completely, there's a whole uh, uh, aspect of the dirty little secrets of beekeeping, the beekeeping industry that you should know even as a backyard beekeeper or even as a consumer of products from, from the honeybee industry. And I think that uh, that's going to be my next presentation, by the way, the dirty little secrets. And, and I'm sure that I'll get a lot of flack for it because I'm going to tell everybody <laughs> what's going no. on the underskirt of the business. That's that's perfectly fine. I, I think that is perfectly acceptable. And for anybody listening to this, if you have not already listened to the main segment episode for the Natural Beekeeping Corner for the month of September, uh, the episode just came out on Monday and it is titled, it's the Natural Beekeeping Corner Part 6, and it is the thoughts on unintentional consequences. And some of those things you do touch on in that episode, some of the things that the when you brought up the suppliers specifically, how they're kind of in it to make money and don't necessarily uh -huh. tell you some of the other ways that they are working synergistically with other outside forces to help propagate something so that they can continue getting a revenue stream from that. And that may not necessarily be the best thing for your bees. So if you have not already gone and listened to that and you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, that other episode came out on Monday. And so definitely go check that out and get a little bit more insight. And no, I cannot knock you for doing a dirty little secrets presentation on anything <laughs> because I secretly have a little presentation on why you should not be a beekeeper. <laughs> go yeah well we can both get on our soapboxes and <laughs> just let people know what we think yeah yeah so so i definitely i have my own little thing over there that it, it has been building and i've been working on it and creating it and there are specific groups that i have done it for that are non-beekeeper groups but they want to know how they can help and so that presentation is why we don't need more beekeepers or why you don't need Absolutely. to be a beekeeper and I go through and we talk about all these other things that would probably mortify half of the people, if not more, that listen to the podcast going, oh, my God, you told them yeah. what you said, no, you know, or whatever. So, um, yeah, but I mean, they're out there there. You know, there are other concepts and things that, that we have that you don't necessarily think of <laughs> that are still true that are like, you know what? Um, ethical. Yes, it's ethical. And there are a lot of a lot of dirty little secrets. So doing your research finding out what's truly going on, where it came from, what they really did. Um, another analogy that could actually kind of work for that is when you're doing removals, you don't necessarily want to do a removal and keep the bees and contaminate your equipment on a hive that they have tried to poison and kill. Mm -hmm. But if you flat out ask somebody, did you spray this colony? Did you poison this colony? They always say no. Well, most of the time, I shouldn't say always, most of the time they're going to deny it and they're going to say no. But you may find a can of Raid in the bushes right beside the entrance of the hive. And you're like, right, you never sprayed them. 
But if you change your approach and you say, hey, this time of year, there's actually usually honey in here. As long as it's never been treated or sprayed or anything, it's usually perfectly fine. If you want, I'd be more than happy to put some in a container for you and you can share it with your friends and everything. And if they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. They probably sprayed that colony because nine times out of 10, if they haven't sprayed the colony, they're like, oh my God, that would be so awesome. Like I've always wanted to try honey straight from the hive. It never crosses their mind. But if you preface so long as this has never occurred and then leave it open, not insinuating they did anything, they will tell on themselves by immediately being like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. No, 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 thanks. So there's there's ways you can get around that. Yeah, it's the same as asking the question, what did you treat your bees with instead of, did you treat your bees? Yeah. If you say, did you treat your bees, they might say no. But if you say, what did you treat it with? They'll say, well, blah, blah, blah. And, and then you'll know exactly what happened. Yeah. What what type of mite treatment do you use whenever you go through if you have a problem? Um, and and it, don't do it in a negative context to where they're going to no. feel like they have to be defensive or that they're going to be, you know, uh, chastised, but do it in a way that, makes it feel like they can have an open conversation. You're going to get the information that you need and then you can take it and do with what you need to do with and, you know, let them do their own thing. And then, you know, for future use, Hey, this individual is going to do X, Y, Z. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. That was a a random little twist there at the very end. So uh, yeah, dirty little secrets. Yes. Oh, gracious. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in for another little beekeeper chat here with Natalie and I, and uh, we both greatly appreciate it. And thank you for your support here on Patreon. Uh, We absolutely appreciate that. And we look forward to talking to you again next week where we will be discussing um, a hypothetical thought process. So it's not a, it's not a task. It's not a procedure. It's actually based off of somebody else's creative writing. And we're going to go through and kind of talk about some of the implications of that and how in each of our own opinions, how we feel about it and whether or not it actually is true or implies or not. So that ought to be an interesting episode. So definitely uh, tune back in next week for that one. A little bit of a philosophical discussion. Thank you all. Thank you, everybody. You guys be good. Be mindful. Bye-bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.